At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. This morning we're going to continue in worship by opening up the scriptures. And uh, this Sunday is what we refer to as a CP choice, a campus pastor choice. So we're not walking through a sermon series uh, like we normally do. We just finished working our way through the first couple of chapters of First Peter, the Apostle Paul's letter to those many churches. Uh, we finished that up, and we have this weekend in between, um, the First Peter series and our Christmas series, in which just get to choose whatever uh, I want to do. And um, so spending time in prayer about it, talking to uh, Caleb about it, and um, this is where I land, Saw, landed, Psalm 136. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Psalm 136 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> and I thought that this psalm is, you know, normally when we're around a holiday like Memorial Day or July 4th or Thanksgiving, I don't do a holiday sermon necessarily. We'll kind of honor it or acknowledge it to some degree, but we don't, you know, go all hall hallmarky with it and, and make the most of this holiday. Um, nevertheless, I did, as I thought about it, think that Thanksgiving and what's coming up in the next week could have particular importance and particular relevance in light of what we've been through this past year. And so I did want to kind of make the most of this holiday and meditate further on Thanksgiving and this particular example of Thanksgiving from the scriptures. So that's why we're here in Psalm 136. Before um, I dive in, though, I want to let you know, especially if you're a family um, or even if you know families with young children, um, we have created this resource. The Woodside Kids Ministry uh, team has created this resource. It's a devotional to help you walk through the Advent season. So starting the Monday after Thanksgiving is when this Devo begins, and it tracks with our sermon series. So our sermon series throughout Christmas is going to look at different covenants working through the Old Testament. So we're going to first look at the Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant and then the Mosaic covenant and then the Davidic covenant leading all the way to the new covenant in Christ. And so we're going to sort of walk through the Old Testament in that way. Well, this Devo does that uh, with your children throughout the week. So a chance to instruct them, encourage them, pray with them, read with them. This really sets you up to do that really nicely. So especially if you have younger, younger children, fifth grade and younger, um, or if you have grandchildren and you want to give this to one of them as a gift, maybe a neighbor, someone who doesn't even know Christ, um, but the Christmas season may have some intrigue for them. And this is a way they can read not just the Christmas story, but the story of the Bible. And so I encourage you to grab one of these. They should be on our Connect desks on your way out. We'll have them this Sunday and next Sunday. Again, it's supposed to start the Monday after Christmas. So you still got a, a week or so before the Devo begins. All right, Psalm 136. I'll read this for us, and then we'll dive in. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks 
to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever give thanks to him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed many mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever Sihon the king of the Amorites for his steadfast love endures forever and Og king of Bashan for his steadfast love endures forever and gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever a heritage to Israel his servant for his steadfast love endures forever it is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's been your predominant or primary emotion this year. Cast your mind back to January. Survey the months going forward through the spring, through the summer. Now, here we are in November. Throughout this time, what's been your predominant or primary emotion or emotions that you've experienced? Anger? Frustration? Sadness, disappointment, fear, anxiety, shame, regret. The controversies, the isolation, the loss we have collectively experienced this year, I imagine, brings up some of these negative, difficult emotions. So when the pandemic first hit us back in March and the stay-at-home order went into effect, there was a large effort 
by our local outreach department that serves all of the 14 Woodside campuses, they began to mobilize resources and gather information regarding how we could help people in this region. And we began to prepare to help people by distributing groceries, assisting with rent payments and bill payments, making sure people had necessities like toilet paper, remember that, and other hygiene products. But by far, the number one problem people had that they shared with us was not their physical needs, was not their financial needs. It was mental health, relational health, spiritual health. And this experience is reflected in the all of a sudden booming business of online counseling. Betterhelp.com, onlinetherapist.com, ecounseling.com, talkspace.com are just a few of the digital efforts that have been created to fill the need of addressing people's emotional and psychological gaps that have emerged this year. But what about you? What's it been like on the inside for you? What's been your predominant or primary emotion or emotions this year? Well, in light of all of the external and internal negativity, here we stand on the precipice of this most wonderful holiday, indeed, holy day, Thanksgiving. And the act of Thanksgiving or giving thanks springs from the feeling of gratitude. And gratitude, we might say, is an emotional cousin of joy. In other words, joy, or in other words, gratitude is a particular form or variation of joy. This feeling emerges inside of us when we evaluate something or someone or some experience, and as we evaluate that thing, we gain an appreciation for it. We're glad for that thing. We're thankful for that thing. And the importance of gratitude for our psychological and even physical health is well documented. Gratitude has a converse relationship with stress. In other words, as gratitude goes up, stress goes down. And this has important positive effects on our minds, our bodies, and our relationships. And so it's no surprise that giving thanks is commanded of us in Scripture, and it's modeled for us in Scripture. Indeed, one of the constant things we're doing through our songs and prayers in corporate worships is telling the Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. In your presence, Lord, I feel gratitude. And so it's to one of these scriptural models of grateful worship that we look this morning. Psalm 136 is often and rightly categorized as a hymn of thanksgiving. And the call of this psalm on our lives is this. Thank God for his steadfast love. Thank God for his steadfast love. So look at the way the psalm opens up in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks 
to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the psalmist, this worship leader, calls on God's people to give thanks, express thanks. And here he makes clear who it is that we're supposed to direct our thanks to. The Lord, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is worthy of receiving our thanks. And one of the ways we worship him is expressing to him the thanks that he's worthy of. So that's how the psalmist sets the stage for this psalm at the beginning. But then notice how he ends it at the end. This is the very last verse. Psalm 136, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. So at the very start and at the very end, the psalmist calls on us to express thanks, hinting to us that this is the main point of his psalm. Thank God. And then, of course, we see over and over, 26 times, in fact, the reason we are to give thanks. Thank God for his steadfast love. After every single one of these verses, the psalmist repeats that line. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Repeated for us over and over like this so that we would get the point that his steadfast love endures forever. And throughout the rest of the psalm, the writer lays out for us three different ways we have experienced God's steadfast, forever love. How have we experienced God's love? What evidence is there of divine love? The psalmist lays a few of them out. First, God's love in creation. Thank God for his steadfast love demonstrated in creation. We can see we have experienced God's love in what he has made. So listen to how the psalmist puts it, starting there in verse four. He says, give thanks to, the, give thanks to God who alone does great wonders. And what great wonders does the psalmist have in mind? Well, he lets us know in these next few verses. Give thanks to him who does great wonders, verse five, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. So the great wonders the psalmist is talking about are the many great wonders that fill creation. Land and sea, sun and moon, all of these elements are the creative work of God whereby his creatures can live and prosper. God is worthy of thanks for his artistic brilliance, for his mechanical genius that fills the created world. The loving God has demonstrated his love by creating us and giving us the created world to exist in. And so we thank him. Several years ago, I had a friend who was a professing atheist, and he was a really bright guy and a kind friend, and we had many conversations about spirituality and Jesus and science and so forth. 
And at one point, my friend took a trip to the Gulf Coast. This was when I lived in Alabama, so we were close to it. He took a trip to the Gulf Coast, and afterwards he came back to school, because we were in university at the time. He came back to school and told me about an experience he had had during his trip. So he was standing on the beach during the evening on his trip, and he must have been alone, just of kind of taking in and observing the environment, reflecting. And all of a sudden, he became aware of this profound sense of gratitude. As he gazed upon the power and vastness of the Gulf waters, as he thought about the complexity of the sea life within those waters, as he observed the brightly colored, dazzling evening sky, as he felt the Gulf breeze whistling around him, gratitude bubbled to the surface of his heart. But at the same time, as he later told me about this experience, you could tell he was also kind of sad. Because as an atheist, despite feeling gratitude, he had no one to be grateful to. Because the atheistic, naturalistic worldview, our world is just a cosmic accident. You see, all of creation, whether we would believe it or not, all of creation bears witness to the creator. Behind the beauty of creation, there's an artist. Behind the genius of creation, there's a genius. And wonder of wonders, church, we know his name. The Lord, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven. And when observing all that he has made, all that he has given us to enjoy the beauty of the skies, the artistry of different animal designs, the skill of making the earth rotate on its axis just right and orbit around the sun just right, the colors of the different creatures, the glory of good food, the power of a windstorm, the size of mountains, the vastness, the scope of the oceans. When we observe all that he has made and all that he has given us to enjoy, there is nothing more natural than to respond, thank you. Thank you for your steadfast love demonstrated in all that you have made. In the next section of the psalm, the writer shifts his focus from creation to salvation. Thank God for his steadfast love in creation and thank God for his love in salvation. God made us and so we thank him and God saved us. And so we thank him. God's original creation, yes, was good. And there's still much good in creation now. And yet still we know creation is broken. We are broken because of sin. And not only we are broken, not only are we broken, but we can't fix ourselves. We need a savior, a divine savior. And the paramount demonstration of God's saving acts in the Old Testament was the exodus out of Egypt. So you recall in the book of Egypt, in the book of Egypt, in the book of Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham. God made, God promised that he would make Abraham's descendants into a great nation. Well, by the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham's descendants are in Egypt. And by 
the start of the next book in the Bible, Exodus, Abraham's descendants are enslaved in Egypt. But God works through the leadership of Moses. He brings the 10 plagues upon Egypt and the king of Egypt, the last plague being the one that's mentioned here in verse 10. Every firstborn son in Egypt was struck down because of the Egyptian king's sin of enslaving God's people. But it's with this final act of judgment against Egypt whereby the Israelites finally escape. And so the psalmist says there in verse 10, give thanks to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Give thanks to him who divided the Red Sea in two, made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. So you remember the story. After finally being freed from Egypt, the Israelites start to make their way back to Canaan, back to the promised land, but Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, changes his mind once again. He chases down the Israelites, corners them against the Red Sea, but in this most remarkable demonstration of his power, the Lord splits the sea in two, causing the soggy bottom of the sea floor to dry up and the Israelites pass through safely. But when the Egyptians try to follow, the waters collapse back and overwhelm them. And so the psalmist rightly says there in verse 10, Psalm 136, verse 10, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, the Lord brought Israel out of slavery into freedom. My friends and I, a long time ago, something we would do just goofing around with each other, we'd just randomly say, sissy fight, and we'd start like doing this one another, just sort of hitting each other. Just something goofy we would do. I know, a lot of weird boys, but... And it was supposed to be funny because we weren't really fighting, right? We're just sort of short arc man. And then this, there's this great gift of George Costanza and Jerry Seinfeld doing this to one another. So if you have time this afternoon, search it. I couldn't get it to work on the slides behind you. But you can see it there with George and Jerry. Very unaggressive, not threatening at all. But that's just it, Right? Me and my friends, George and Jerry, sissy fight. We weren't really fighting. We weren't fighting with an outstretched arm. This is how you fight. Check this out. Manny Pacquiao getting his face hammered by the champ, Floyd Mayweather. That's an outstretched arm. That's how you fight. That's a great act of judgment against Manny Pacquiao's face. And I got one more. I had to show this. Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. Look at that reach. Look at that outstretched arm delivering justice to Ken Norton's face. That's an outstretched arm. That's how you fight. And that's how the Lord fights for his He's relentless, he's tenacious, his victory is decisive. And so we thank him. And as incredible as God's power was at the exodus from Egypt, all of those saving actions were meant to point to the coming Messiah, the promised Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. 
Through Jesus' resurrection from the grave, he broke the power of sin. He triumphed over death. He freed us into slavery. Brothers and sisters, when you're tempted to lose heart, when negative emotions swirl around uncontrollably inside of you, look to the cross. It is the clearest expression of God's love. Listen to how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says very simply, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, still guilty, Christ died for us. Christ died for us not when we'd cleaned ourselves up, not when we'd straightened our lives out, not when we started fulfilling our religious duties while we were still drunk, while we were still high, while we were still lying, while we were still hypocrites, while we were still hateful, God showed his love through the sacrificial death of Jesus. Look to the cross and thank God for his love in salvation. Finally, thank God for his loving provision. God's loving provision is our final reason for thanks that the psalmist lays out. So not only did the Lord redeem Israel from Egypt and free them from their slavery, he's also going to lead them into the promised land. So he saved them out of their misery, and now he's going to lead them into prosperity and provide for them. This new home, the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey is how it's described throughout the Bible. So Israel sets out from Egypt, headed to the promised land. They finally get there, but the land is occupied. Moses then hands leadership over to Joshua, and what's often referred to as the conquest of the land begins. And the Lord hands over these different kings into the hands of God's people. And we hear about a couple of these kings in verses 18 through 19 in Psalm 136. Give thanks to God who struck down great kings and killed many mighty kings, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, Og, the king of Bashan, and God gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his servant, Israel. So now this wandering, unimpressive, relative, uh, recently enslaved people, they received this large heritage. This inheritance from God, he provides for them in ways they never could have imagined in their former enslaved state. And so the psalmist comments in verse 23, it is he who remembered us. Give thanks to him who remembered us in our low estate. He says, we were lowly, we had no property. Indeed, we were property of the Egyptians. And now, look at us, the Lord provided for us. He gave us this land, he gave us a home. Rags to riches. Rags to riches stories provide some of the most interesting and compelling narratives for us. So you think of movies like Rocky, I don't know if you have boxing on the mind, but... You think of movies like Rocky and Aladdin. You think of fairy tales like Cinderella. Think of Broadways like Annie or even reality TV shows like American Idol. 
or game shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Or even a cultural artifact like the lottery. They're all drawing on the power of a rags to riches story. Someone going from having nothing to having more than they could ever want. Annie was an orphan and now she's living in Daddy Warbuck's mansion. Aladdin was a street rat. Now he's about to marry Jasmine. Reuben stuttered. Remember him, the second American Idol? Reuben Stuttered was a backup singer in Nashville, and now he's an American Idol. These stories, there's something about them. Sudden provision. Abundant surprise supply. They connect with the desires in our own hearts to be provided for, to be cared for, to be taken from our lowest state and brought into abundance. Well, church, listen once more to the apostle and what he says about the way God has provided for us in Christ. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. The apostle says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could also say, thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, born again to an inheritance or heritage that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the heavenly inheritance we have in Christ will never expire. It's as imperishable as the resurrected body of Jesus. The heavenly heritage we have in Christ will never rot, will never spoil. It's as undefiled as the sin-free, perfectly restored, resurrected body of Christ. The heavenly provision we have in Christ can never be taken from us. It is kept in heaven for you. So when we feel lack when we feel a shortage of what we need, it can be incredibly discouraging and confusing and disappointing. It can be easy to complain, to doubt. But the psalmist and the apostle, they wanna stir gratitudes in our heart. And so they point to Christ. Peter says, you have gone from earthly rags to heavenly riches in Christ. You've gone from death to life. You've gone from hopeless to living hope through the resurrected Christ. Thank God for his loving provision. So what's been your predominant emotion this year? Well, if you're like me, it has been a roller coaster inside, up and down, all over the place. But this week, church, let's step into joy. Let's step into gratitude. Let's open our eyes to the wonders of creation, the things God has made, the people God has made, the places God has made. And let's remember the mighty acts of God's salvation, especially Jesus' work on the cross to liberate us from Satan's lies, to forgive us our many sins. And let's focus on our heavenly inheritance.
right now we may question our earthly financial provision. Where's it gonna come from? How's it gonna work out? We don't always know, but we do know this radical, revolutionary truth. God loves us. God loves us with steadfast love. 26 times over. And in his love for us, he has provided for us eternally. And so may he receive our thanks both now and forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, let's prepare to stand, prepare to sing by standing, and I will pray for us. Our Father in heaven, We, your people, thank you. God, in your presence, week after week, even though we bring a lot here emotionally, oftentimes, shame and a sense of failure, anxiety and a sense of fear, sadness and disappointment, we bring all of ourselves here, but Lord, this morning, We remember gratitude. We remember your call on our lives to be thankful, the need for us to be thankful. And we also remember the many reasons why we have to be thankful. So open our eyes, God, to the glories of creation. Open our eyes to the grace of the cross. Open our eyes to your abundant provision in our lives in Christ. And God, help us to sing by your spirit inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.